Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Greetings, this is Kay Anderson-Shivers, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So thank you, Kay, for introducing this special edition of the Tennis Podcast. Kay is one of our guest editors in our Kickstarter campaign who helped to keep the Tennis Podcast going throughout the year. We've had 937 backers in 2019 who have uh, pitched in to help us fund the show and to hire Grand Matt and to keep it going and to, to make it so that we can produce it every single week and daily at the Grand Slams. And Kay, you may remember, is Charlie the Ferret's mom, Charlie, our mascot of last year. He hasn't been very well of late so get well charlie but we have a lot of questions here from our listeners to answer and a few special ones from Kay as well Catherine, are you ready ready blimey she really does sound ready okay uh, let's just crack straight on shall we uh, the first question that Kay has here do you think wta players who regularly ask for their coaches to come on court are damaging their chances of progressing in slams where they don't get the chance to ask for their coaches to come on oh there are so many layers to this question okay um possibly yeah I, I mean the boring the boring factual answer is it depends on the player and the coach and their relationship not so not necessarily um but i think it's entirely possible that for for some players i mean there was that period wasn't there that um was it a Rome, David, where uh, I think, was it the Rome final where Simone Hallett was struggling against Lena Svitolina and she didn't she didn't call Darren Cahill there was certainly an event where Hallett wasn't calling Darren Cahill onto court and it was in preparation for the French Open where they wouldn't be able to, am I imagining this? Put me out of my misery. No, you, you, you're absolutely right, you're absolutely right That is that is what happened and Darren Cahill has spoken quite openly in the past that he is a little concerned about the fact that a player, and in Simona Halep's case, quite a perfect example of of such a player who may become over-reliant on a coach to come on and solve all their problems for them. And, and he did go through a period of saying, look, I, I want her to work it out for herself more often. And yeah, I mean... I personally think it's uh, it is damaging. Uh, I think there is definitely the potential. I don't think it's guaranteed to be damaging. I mean, look at Caroline Wozniacki. She has her father come on every single set to talk to her. Who he's a coach as well. And at the Australian Open, she managed to win without that. I think she, I think she's very strong mentally. And and you know, different players are going to react differently, aren't they? Depending on their personal 
mental and strategic skill sets. But I do feel it is absolutely possible that a player could end up treating a coach as a crutch that they mid-match can't do without or find it more difficult to do without during slams. Yeah, I agree. I think the answer is that it is absolutely possible. Um, and if, yeah, I mean, you, you quite often, I mean, obviously they're not they're not officially working together anymore, Cahill and Hallett, but you quite often used to see even when she did call him down onto court, the first thing he would say is, well, what do you think? What do you think you need to do? What do you think is going wrong here or going right here? Um, and I always really liked that about their their dynamic um, in on-court interviews. It, and, it, you know, look at Garbini Muguruza. She performs better at slams when she's not able to call Sam Sumik onto court. And um, I think, um, I don't think I've held back on the podcast before in saying that their, their on-court co- coaching exchanges make me feel really uncomfortable. I'm not sure... I'm not sure they bring her any positive input at all. I think she 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 brings him onto court because she can and that's sort of just what she's in the habit of doing and actually um that do, that that does her a lot of detriment in those events where it's happening but then when she gets into slams I mean not necessarily recently um <laughs> but when she gets into slams suddenly she uh, she has to figure it out on her own and she is more than able to mm. um more than capable of it and i i think yeah i mean i i don't want to go off at too much of a tangent but um you know there's many layers of what's going on there but but then i think of other players as you say caroline was there are plenty of examples of players where i think they're able to do that sort of in a vacuum they do it because they can um but it's it's not the the crutch as you say in the way that it might be for for some others i think it depends how much of a an emotional element there is to to calling the the player on onto court. How much are you just wanting a bit of tactical input, and how much are you doing it because you're you're in a you're in a tight spot and you want somebody to tell you that it's going to be okay that you've 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 got the thing within you um, that's going to m- make you able to turn it around. You know, we talked uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about uh, imposter syndrome and and uh, personality types particularly on the WTA side personality types and and players perhaps not believing that they belong and i think for those sorts of personality types hearing it for somebody else from somebody else whose opinion you value is sadly sort of more important than more significant than telling yourself that you're good enough or that you you're a good enough player to win the match um, whether that is a bad thing in terms of transferring it into the slams, I I don't know. I said at the beginning of the year that I was really um, eager for Halep and Sloane Stevens, the players without coaches, to have success without their coaches. Yes. Um, and it's not <laughs> happening for Sloane Stevens, is it? No, no. I, I don't. I don't really know what makes Sloane Stevens tick well enough to know what that's down to. I mean, she does have a coach, uh, or at least she has somebody with her. But I don't think it's not it's, the same, is it? No, I don't think it's a coach in the way. In yeah. Uh, well, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken I mean, about Murray that relationship. Was, was Kamal Murray seemed everything, didn't he? He seemed to be life coach, strict yeah. s- s- tactician, 
he, he just seemed to really get her and and she responded uh, they didn't always get on apparently but for whatever reason he was able to get the absolute best out of her certainly enough in order to make her her really successful what one other thing that does strike me as well is and the other tangent to this is it's perfectly possible that by having on-court coaching during the rest of the year, a player learns what they need to do in certain situations. So it doesn't mean that because the coach can't come on during the slams that they can't think back to instances where they've called a coach on, learned what works for them, and just keep employing it. Yeah, and say, okay, so I'm I'm uh, a set and three one down. Oh, I remember when I was a set and three one down uh, in the semi finals of Madrid, and uh, whoever it might be, Dmitry Tursunov came came on, and this is what he told me. I remember that. Maybe I'll do exactly what I was told to do then, you know. And quite, it, it's it is stri- striking how often because what's in vogue with with tennis and with coaching at the moment is just to focus on yourself right it's not it's not about who you're playing necessarily in tactics of who you're playing it's just focus on your game do the right things for you and and you'll be good enough to win um so that being the case the 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 advice should be very transferable from match to match did you see that talking of tersonov did you see that coaching session where he just came on and didn't yes. say anything he it- just it crouched was next to her and there was just silence sensational i loved it <laughs> why because i because of all the unspoken layers of what was going on you know he knew what she was wanting and expecting him to say and he knew that it wasn't the right thing to 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 say at that moment and he was sort of I, d- I don't know, it was just... I really like their relationship. I suspect they have massive Barneys, um, but always with a an undercurrent of respect, don't you think? Yes. Barneys, uh, for our American listeners, <laughs> arguments, Not folks. dinosaurs. <laughs> Although, you know... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, think that, I think you're right. I think... But it's also interesting is going to be how they react to the decline in her results recently. Mm. I mean, I know it's only a couple of months spell, but it has been underwhelming, really, for, for Sabalenka the, the last couple of months. I mean, I think we, when she made that breakthrough at the end of last year, we expected her to be the Andreescu. We expected her to maybe do an Osaka. Now she may well still do uh, over the next six, eight months. But I, I am disappointed in her results the last three months. No question. Me too, and I suspect she's disappointed in herself. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I suspect she and Dmitry Tersonov both a little disappointing. Um, I don't think she's an example, incidentally, of somebody that, that that struggles at slams because they're not able to to bring their coach onto court. But it's not a science. I could be wrong. I think, no. I, I, think, I, I think she redlines her game to such a degree that if it is off... You've got a problem, mm. um, but it's it's difficult. It's it's going to be interesting to see her on clay now. Over the, I should say the the reason we're doing uh, this, uh, we're doing a few of these question listener question shows throughout the year. We're it's doing because this one because they're great, David. 
Well, they are great. I mean, they are absolutely amazing. This one, I mean, you've just had 10 minutes of it. You know, you tell us. This is why you listen. This is why you're going to tell all your friends to listen to the tennis podcast. However, as well, there's not an awful lot going on in the tennis world. So we try to to spot uh, openings within the calendar when there isn't a huge amount of uh, aren't a huge amount of events going on. Charleston this week, so we'll we'll cover that in one of our future shows. But uh, and that's green clay. But it is interesting, isn't it? That transference onto the the new surface. You, you mentioned Osaka the other day. It's just so interesting to watch how these players are going to adapt. Just just on the on the coaching. Given that nobody seems to be able to agree on on whether to have coaching on the side of the court, on-court coaching, headset coaching, no coaching at all, do you think it matters that there is difference in that way? Or do you think we have to find a single way of, of running the game whereby it's the same all the time? Yes, it matters a lot that there's so much difference. I hate it. I hate it. I care more about it all being uniform and men's and women's tennis and slams and tour level events agreeing on what's the best way forward than I do about whether there should or shouldn't be on court coaching. I just oh, want it all I just want it all to be the same. As it happens, I as time goes on, I'm coming down more on the side of yes, thumbs up to on court coaching, but I wouldn't defend it at the expense of uh, potential equity in in the game across events and across tours. That that is what I will. That is the hill that I will die on for tennis. Um, I think I think we went for headset coaching as our number one. Or at least I think that after the next gen, the original uh, inaugural next gen event, that's that's where I felt yeah most it worked well comfortable. Yeah, it worked well. Plus, you get the amusing bonus feature of seeing players sat there in sort of futuristic headsets, which is brilliant. Um, and it opens up, it, it sort of technologically, um, from a broadcast point of view, um, you get better quality audio. There's no risk of the player being or the coach being off mic or anything like that. And it opens That's up um, a lot more or it ought to make it a lot more possible to provide translations which for me is absolutely key I think it's laughable the situation we have at the moment and David I think you deal with it brilliantly in your commentary uh, on BT when when you have what looks like an absolutely gripping on-court coaching exchange and as a commentator you just have to say well it looks like we've just had an absolutely gripping and insightful on-court coaching exchange I can't tell you anything that was said in it because unfortunately it happened in Kazakh but uh, yeah if you do speak Kazakh out there fill your boots it is ludicrous it is absolutely ludicrous Um, and so I know it takes money to resolve but I I I I can't think of money better spent. You know, if a job's worth doing, do it properly. If you're going to stand by having on-court coaching, and I think there are lots of lots of things going for it, and it is something that you can... Def- I see a lot of arguments in opposition as well, but if you're going to stand by it, do it properly. Hmm. Well, I I agree. I think we're in agreement. Right. So there we are. Okay. There's your first question. That took 14 minutes to answer. Um, Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Here's your second one. Is it better for the sport to have four outstanding players who dominate or have a range of players competing more evenly? And I suppose you you would look particularly at the, the women's tour just at the moment where we've had, what is it, 14 different champions at the first 
14 events of the year. And uh, whereas, obviously, in the men's tour and to a, a historical extent in the past in the women's tour when you had Serena particularly dominating, what what do you prefer? What do you think is better for the sport? It's such a pertinent question. Um, and, in fact, there is... Uh an article examining exactly that conundrum uh, by Charlie Eccleshire in t- today's Telegraph. Is there? There is. Um, the headline is, Tennis equitability this year has been thrilling, but when does a sport become too unpredictable? Oh, that's a great headline. I'm going to read that. I literally read it about it. half an hour ago, and then I saw Kay's list of questions, and I thought, hang on a second, you should be, maybe you should be writing in the Telegraph. Everybody go and read Charlie's article uh, immediately after you finish listening to this podcast and obviously downloaded all the rest of our back catalogue. But Catherine, what, what's the gist of what he came to? That, that I mean, that basically the, the, the big four era in, in the men's game over the past 10 years has provided the, the paradigm for, for perfection in terms of level of competition um which i'd say it's true he says it it's uh he said uh, defining precise parameters for what makes a sporting era great is not easy but there are a few common themes most obvious is that having one dominant team or individual is rarely much fun um you know see pete sampras or liverpool in the 70s Man United in the 90s. Um, The idea that monopolies like these are bad is so entrenched in our sporting subconscious, and this is a really interesting point, uh, that in America, active steps have been taken to prevent them. For a nation that is the poster child of free trade capitalism, their almost communist attitude to sport remains a curiosity, but that is the situation in the NFL, where the selection order for the all-important college draft is determined by reversing the previous season's rankings. I found that really fascinating. So that's the sort of interventionist attempt to even things up and not perpetuate domination by the top teams. Yeah, you don't get that at all in Premier League football in the no. UK, do you? And you see, I've been watching a lot of NFL over the last year and hearing about the draft and the way they do it, just just as you've described there. And I'm really fascinated now to watch the drafts just to see what this rubbish team might get in terms of this amazing <laughs> player, like you know, coming in to and, just join. And, them. and does does the amazing players sort of have a look of disappointment on their face, like, oh, I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping to go to the Miami Dolphins, and I'm off to like Utah. <laughs> Utah don't have an American football team, however. Do they, do they not? They have an NBA team there, Catherine, so we'll go with that. Hang on. How do you know that? Is that true? What What would the Utah team's name be in American football? The Utah... Salt Lake City Saracens. Okay. Let, think of a name I'm for go- Utah, I'm Googling, folks, David. At Tennis Podcast. Keep talking. I'm Googling. Bit off topic. Utah Jazz in NBA, I should add. Um, but which doesn't really roll off the Stop tongue in quite off. the way I was hoping it would. Uh, but anyway, what do I think about it? Is it better to have the four outstanding players who dominate or depth? Oh, that's it's such a tough one to answer because I, I'm thoroughly enjoying the variety at the moment on the women's circuit. I really am. But ultimately, I do I do feel a sport benefits from having an ongoing narrative and soap opera type feel. I mean. We see in, in boxing at the moment, which is excruciating in the way it makes its biggest performers avoid each other. At the moment, you've got Tyson Fury, uh, Anthony Joshua and um, 
uh, Deontay Wilder just having fights against other people when all anybody wants to see is them fight each other. Um, in tennis, I think sometimes we almost have too much of a good thing. The fact that you've had over 40 or 50 matches between Djokovic and Nadal, maybe it's important for them to be missed occasionally. But I'd rather have it that way. I'd rather I'd rather see the best taken on the best regularly. And, and therefore, I think it's it's difficult for us as media. And I think it's it's more difficult for fans generally to, to invest in a, a player who isn't doing it very often and to try to get excited about somebody and they do they have a big achievement and then they just go missing i i think it i overall i think you only have to look at the the rude health that the, ten, the tennis is in at the moment and i do think it is in great condition and 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 think that those dominating players as long as there's a group of them one on their own I, I agree Michael Schumacher back in the day um I think was problematic Tiger Woods w- was effective I mean as a as a as a sports leader um but but I do think a group is the best yeah an oligopoly as Charlie says yes yeah he uses the um Wonderful. He ends on the wonderful analogy of uh, the WTA Tour rolls on this week in Charleston and Monterey with the prospect of a 15th and 16th winner of 2019. The chaos has been thrilling, but like a teenager left to their own devices, suddenly yearning for their parents to come home, it's time for some sort of order to be restored. Yes, well said, Charlie. Oh, that's a good good piece. Can't wait to read the whole thing. Um, so next question from Kay. Is it unfair for a top player to enter 250 events where they are likely to dominate just so they can hit milestones? I think Kay is pointing I towards Roger Federer here. I love how loaded this question is, David. Yeah, Roger Federer is on 101 titles, and we were last week talking about him entering Newport, uh, the grass court <laughs> event after Wimbledon, just to notch up another one. Um, I mean, I don't think it's unfair at all because they are eligible. I... I, I, I and should the rules change? I don't think they should. I think that that, that is a fair dividing line. I, I was, I mean, much as I was pleased for Kyle Edmund to get some form going in that challenger the other week, I thought him being a top 30 ranked player entering a challenger tournament was, yeah, that, that had a slightly unfair ring to it. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's an arbitrary dividing line, but one between tours certainly seems the the place to put it to me. Um, I have to say, I hadn't even the point hadn't even occurred to me um, that it might be unfair unfair for Roger Federer to en- enter Newport. I mean, it's so. Um, well, it's not. No, it's not. But it hadn't even occurred to me that it might be. That's how. That's how not unfair. Yes. Um, I, I think it is. Um, you know, 250 events, the entry list to 250 events are, uh, I mean, the, the factors that go into the players that enter are so, um, so not about competition. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's appearance fees and it's, uh, what else have you got going on? Yeah, you've got, you'll have uh, players trying to get their ranking up uh, to try, uh, you know, to get their ranking up to whatever it might be, other milestones, you know, to get into the seeded positions for slams, to get main draw entry into slams, or if they know they've got a lot of points to defend uh, from from that week, so they're going to drop in the rankings. There's all sorts of very personal motivations that go into players entering where they enter. 
um, you know, players coming back from injury. Um, and I think, yeah, I think whatever whatever your personal motivations are as a tennis player, within the rules, play wherever wherever you like. And what and I I don't think it's fair on the the events to say, well, you're a, you're a piddly little two fifty, so you're consigned to only having players ranked outside the top fifty. Isn't that what makes them them really exciting when you when you have a couple of the the really big guys and I, I just, I, yeah, I, I object to the concept really. I mean, maybe it all should be a bit more transparent and scientific, you know, the, the motivations for players entering appearance fees, as we've spoken before on one of the um, listener question shows is an area of tennis, which is really murky. Um, and it goes on most at, at, at 250 and 500 level because obviously they're the non-mandatory tournaments to get those to lure those big guys to play um finances inevitably are a factor but yeah perhaps they could be a bit more transparency but apart from that i think it's all fair game really and i can't think of anything better than seeing roger federer play in budapest in 2020 <laughs> yeah to try and get himself over the line imagine, imagine if he was entering a succession of 250s and he just couldn't get the win <laughs> kept on losing to like how uh, low can he go <laughs> i won't pluck a name at risk of having fans of that person text in but yeah insert name here Gilles Muller coming out of retirement. There we go. Go on, I'll, Gilles. I'll, I'll, use your, I'll use your example. Yeah. Uh, right. Now, are there any new rule changes that you'd like to see trialled at this year's next-gen tournament, Catherine? Case final question before we get on to a few other people. Oh, haven't they pretty much trialled all of them? I've got three. Crikey. Okay. Shall Do you I fire ever away? sleep, David, or are you just lying in bed? Or thinking about rule changes that they could trial at the next gen tournament. Go for it. Uh, and podcast ideas, and <laughs> yeah, that's basically what I do. Is uh, is think of stuff to do with this show. Well, I've actually just thought of two off the top of my head. One <laughs> one of which is um, to only give players one serve. I'd love to see a tournament. I'd love to see what would happen. It, it, there's a jeopardy to it, which I love. Um, do you go for it or do you not? And and so I'd love to see a single serve used. The other one I, I think is just obvious, which is just do not allow aborted ball tosses. If if, if the ball's in the air, it cannot. It has to be struck. You can't just catch it and do it again. Otherwise, you lose your serve. That's very bad news for me. <laughs> Why do you think I've brought it up? Um, <sighs> And uh, I'd also, I don't know whether you'd do this for next gen because this feels like the wrong way around in a way, but I'd love to see a a tournament played with, with just wooden rackets. Just, but it feels like it needs to be a, a different generation, not not the next only, gen. Only over 40s or over 45s suggest yeah. that ever, David. Oh, wouldn't you love to see it though, see what would happen? I imagine it would be a bit rubbish though, wouldn't it? Why? I was talking to Joe Jury about because it. Because they wouldn't be very good at it. They wouldn't be very good at it. But that's the point. Find out who's got maybe that. If they, maybe if they played year round and they all had a chance to adjust. But I think no, for a one-off no, no. tournament, it would be varying degrees of rubbish. But that's the beauty of it. To find out who's got the Watching ability. Watching rubbish tennis. Yeah, no, that's what to, I look for. I want to know, know which players have got the ability to find the sweet spot 
from a racket that has such a small sweet spot. I was talking to Joe Jury about it during the Ash Barty final commentary in Miami, and, and I said that I think that Ash Barty would have put together a pretty decent career back in her day. And she said, well, I think she's put in a pretty decent career together now. I said, yeah, but I'd, I'd love to. I think there are not all players that could cope with wooden rackets with and she described what it was like trying to she said she had to go with a wooden racket recently and realizing the size of the sweet pot she doesn't know how she used to do it um and it, i'd just love to know who's got that ability to adapt the quickest mm. anyway but my i think my one serve rule is the one that i'd most like to see trialed and actually I, I, in many ways i'd probably like to remove a couple of the other rules and just because there's so much thrown at it every year i almost feel like saying well Which yeah those, those ones didn't work well i don't I'd like get the rid of the system. sets to four yeah i don't like that at all um so I'd, I'd i'd get rid of that and go back to normal sets and no ads no ad scoring yeah I, I like the ads i mean make it one set if you want but um you know i just all timed this is something that daniela and greg were talking about in the amazon studio make it timed you play mm-hmm. for an hour yeah that's whoever's in the lead wins yeah that might be good. i mean i know you've got issues with uh, whoever serves first obviously has too big an advantage in that scenario so you'd have to mitigate for that um you could do sort of badminton or uh squash or table tennis type serve serve scoring i think there's too there's too much hawkeye challenging going on generally um, I'd, I'd quite like to see yeah. tournaments with one go at it or, or you know, maybe two or, or not keeping them if you get it right. Just, you know, you've got a couple of chances and if, you, if, you, if you're if you adamant that it's out, you use it. If not, tough. Um, so there we are. Yeah. What, have you, what have you got? Anything? Um, no, I'd, I, I, yeah. I, there's, there's some I'd do away with. As you said, I mean, I f- I feel really strongly about getting rid of the the knock up. Yes, really yes, strongly. I, agree. I think it is that should ludicrous. go all together. There, there should be no knock up. And I had a heated debate with Daniela and Greg about it because they thought it was an awful idea. They said, "No, no, no, it would just be. You have no idea how hard it would be, you know, to go out and play without having knocked up." And I said, "Yeah, but it would be the same for your opponent as well." So I I I don't care whether it's hard. Yes, it might make the first couple of games of a match suffer a little in quality but i'll i'll take that you know that's uh, for me that's not a, too big a price to pay you know boxes don't have just a little spar against one another <laughs> can you imagine but that is the equivalent um, take each other's head off just, a few times let's just have a little punch before we get going <laughs> with the main event ludicrous absolutely ludicrous yeah. and it, 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 it you have you know the you know the events where you have the huge build-up and the walk-on music and the lights are down, they step on court and then oh, suck all the air out of the uh, arena by having a, a ten-minute little like playing the, little the, hit, the, hit the sort of sport is, that we play. Which I mean, people don't pay to go and see that. It's um, absurd. Yes. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. A question from our Facebook page, The Tennis Podcast, if you want to like us on Facebook, um, which uh, Kay has picked out from Richard Glanville, who says, what are the upsides and the downsides of working long hours every day during a tournament? I think this means towards us. Um, do you ever miss the experience of attending tournaments purely as fans? Yes, Richard, I do. Um, not, not, you know, no need to get the violins out, um, <laughs> but if there is a, a downside to the job that we do, then yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'll ever, ever be able to have that pure fan experience again. There's sort of no going, no going back. Not to say that I, I, I can't, I can't buy a ticket and go as a fan. But it will never feel exactly as it used to. Um, I don't think, and that's that's a, a minor shame. I mean, obviously there are tremendous upsides, which. Um, counteract all of that but yes is the short answer to attending as fans in fact I I really wanted to be able to go to the um, the upcoming Fed Cup tie um, with Kazakhstan as a fan but unfortunately it clashes with uh, Monte Carlo and uh, I'll be in the prime studio covering the um, the latter stages of that which again not suggesting anyone get violins out I'm very very happy to be doing that Um but yeah, that's a it's a yeah, it, it is a, a minor footnote of sadness. Yeah, I, I would I would concur. I, I think there's a couple of points. One is I, it's really hard to go for us. I, I find anyway to go to a tournament which I'm not working at. 
um, I just don't really know what to do with myself. I yes. find myself if I'm sitting there watching in the, the crowds, I'm I'm either looking at I find myself looking at the commentators, looking at the people that are doing the on court interviews, looking at the people that are organising the on court interviews because those are all things that I do for a living, and and just I suppose assessing what they're doing, imagining what I'd do in that situation, and I'm not concentrating enough on on the pure fan experience at all. And do you get worried about being caught on camera as well? Well, I, I do, I, and I you're bigger than me, so you should be worried about that. But I'm I'm too fidgety, and and, and I mean <laughs> I'm I'm worse now that Twitter's come along because I I actually was at an event not that long ago where I didn't really have a working capacity. I found myself on on my phone all the time, which is terrible. I mean that's awful. I wish I'd left that at home. Um, but I I think the the other thing is I have lost the ability to care as a fan for a player. I don't support a player, which which professionally is good. I'm really glad that's the case. I don't feel biased towards any player or or anything like that. I I have I, I feel warmth towards a certain player, but for for Come whatever on, reason, it's Grigor Dimitrov. No, but I mean, yeah, all right, <laughs> <laughs> okay, a bit of him, and a, there's one or two that I do have, but but you know. The professionalism outweighs all that. Yeah, I, I don't have that same. I used to love watching Ivan Lendl, and I used to love watching Pete Sampras when I was when I was younger, and, and really support them. And then the moment I met Pete Sampras and uh, asked him to do an interview, and he told me to get lost, um, that all disappeared, frankly, um, quite quickly. And and when I first became a freelance reporter after leaving the ATP as a communications manager, I, I went for BBC Radio to a press conference at my favourite football team, West Bromwich Albion, and I interviewed uh, the manager, Gary Megson, which, was, which had my knees knocking because he was, he was an absolute hero of mine. And I suppose a, a bit like a, a father who employs one of his kids for, for the summer, I, I ended up going in really hard on him and, and asking him really tough questions, which made it a very uncomfortable interview. And I came out of it thinking, well, I've done a good job, but I feel terrible. I feel awful. You know, I've just made my one of my heroes squirm. And I don't like that feeling. So I don't really want to work in football again. You know, I'd, and now I, I don't. And I, I mean, OK, I've commentated on a couple of games. But generally speaking... I can just be a fan of that, and I'm, and I'm glad because I don't want to lose that fan experience. So there we are. If only you'd done that during the Tony Pulis era. <laughs> yeah, you oh, might be working in football as we speak. I wouldn't mind going and asking them why they sacked Darren Moore. Anyway, tennis podcast <laughs> listeners don't want to know about all this. Um, they want to know about what Nick Whitaker's about to ask, which is. Hang on, we haven't answered the other the other element of Richard's question. Uh, the upsides and downsides of working long hours. Um, sleep, Richard. Sleep. <laughs> no yes. time for napping. Well, no. For, for David, that's an upside. For me, it's a downside. Done. Catherine and I have slightly different needs, sleep-wise. <laughs> um. No, 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 no. That is not the correct assessment, David. We, as human beings, have the same needs, but I'm more in touch with them than you are. You're yes. in denial. I forget, and then I suffer. One day, one day in the tournament, I suddenly realise the errors of my ways, yeah. and that actually human beings do require sleep in order to function. Um, it's so, not pretty, folks. It's not pretty. <laughs> now, Catherine has to then put up with that twenty-four hour period. Um, Nick 
asks, Nick Whitaker asks, who are the give, best... Give his surname, David. It's a great surname. Nick Whitaker asks, who are the best over 25-year-old players on both tours and still playing to have not won a Grand Slam title, in your opinion? And do you think they will win one? Is over it, is 25. That's quite a low youth bar, isn't it? 25. Do we think um, Milos Raonic... I'll throw some at you. Milos Raonic, is he going to win a slam? I'm losing faith in Milos Raonic. He's not going to win a slam? Probably not, no. I don't think so either, no. Grigor Dimitrov? Nope, sorry. No, I don't think so either. Um, Kane Ishikori? Nope. No. Uh, <laughs> on the women's side, who hasn't won a slam? Kiki Burton's? Is she over 25? Oh. She's I think, sort of I think aged. It's... She broke through quite late, isn't? Didn't she? So I suspect she might be. Stand by. Google is happening. I think it's not impossible. She's twenty-seven, David. Yeah, I think she could win the she French could Open. Win the French, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I if I had to commit to it, I wouldn't put money on it. I'd say less than fifty-fifty. Yeah, agreed. Um, but... but I'd I'd rather have my money on her than on Raonic, Dimitrov, or Nishikori. Yes. Sadly. Um, anybody else that could win a slam that's over 25? I'm looking, just looking at the women's list more than the men's We've list. We've got to really think of somebody here. that we would put money on. Come on. Hmm. <laughs> I can't. I can't really think. Looking at all these names on this list, I can't see it, really. Not really. Not uh, hang Man, on, are you looking at women's or men's? How's Karolina Pliskova? She's 27. She could win one. Yeah. yeah, she could she, win one. She's twenty-seven years old. Yeah, how did I think that she could, happen? I know. I thought she was about twenty-two. Um, how so, Alina Svitolina's not that age yet? Is she? She's twenty-four, no. maybe. No, yeah, I definitely 24. go. I definitely think Pliskova could because she's building that base. She's being she's quarterfinals all the way and better this year. Um, Agreed. But she's a former world number one. It's hardly a, an out there prediction. No. But she is one who hasn't done it. Should so we try far. and think of a man? No. <laughs> it's not even <laughs> worth looking. That's how unlikely it is. I can't. I can't think of anybody um, that hasn't already. I mean, I don't think Thomas Burdick's going to do it. Do it now. No. Um, I th- okay. Let us know at Tennis Podcast if you can think of anybody <laughs> no. over twenty-five who hasn't won a slam already. Um, that is still playing that you think could win a slam. Dominic Team's at 25. Is he? Yeah, yeah I think done. he's going to win one. Yeah, he's going to win one, isn't he? She said, uh, he said over 25, though. Do you think that counts? Mm, don't know. Uh, let us know, Nick. Does that count or not? Anyway, uh, right, next John one. John Isner? John Isner's not going to win a slam. I don't think. Do I'm you? Not, I, and No, I, I don't think. Yeah, but okay. he'd probably be my next. I'd put him ahead of Dimitrov. <laughs> Sorry, leave Grigor alone. Oh, I'd love to go back and have a chat with our 2012 just started oh. the tennis podcast selves oh. uh, and and ask th- and tell them in seven years' time folks, we were ignorant fools, David. Oh dear, still love Luca you, Grigor. Puy is 25. No, can't see him winning one. Um, no. The big racket. Fernando Vadasco, thirty-five. <laughs> he might win the thirty-five and overs. <laughs> uh, 
The the big racket asks which players have disappointed you most in 2019 and why. This is our final question from this listeners' questions edition. Well, Arena uh, Sabalenka, as you mentioned, that you've already <laughs> she's getting a, a a big mention under disappointments twice in one podcast. Um, but given that I had her in my finals for the Australian Open, uh, she has she has let me down, and has subsequently let me down. I still. Um, I still believe um, and she's still incredibly young but as you say it will be very interesting to see how she deals with these troubles very interesting indeed she's 20 years old so time is on her side but she's still two years older than uh, than Bianca Andreescu isn't it and I think it's tough for these young players that have been so talked up to suddenly to you know they've spent months if not years being told the world is at their feet it's just a matter of time you're the big thing all the sponsors are coming to you um, offering you the world and then suddenly you get overtaken by someone two years younger than you or any amount younger than you I think that must be incredibly difficult to deal with I think it probably irritates Sasha Zverev no end. As he much would be as... mine. Alexander Zverev would be yeah. my pick. Um, and, and I know he hasn't been very well recently, etc. But Oh, he's had a cold, David. <laughs> I know a cold can be miserable. Don't get me wrong. I feel so sorry for myself when I have a cold. But how many times will Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, all of them have had a cold like that and we just won't have known about it? Whereas we have known so much about it with Sasha Zverev. That's what worries me. It's okay to have a cold and to feel miserable and to play badly and to lose. But I just don't want to hear so much about his cold. Obviously, yeah. if it turns out that the cold is something more sinister, I'm going to feel dreadful. But as it stands at the moment, he's had a cold and I just don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, he he would be mine um, because we... We know the raw materials are there. We keep getting told they are. He has added Ivan Lendl to his team. He has produced on the Masters 1000 stage so many times. He's three in the world. He's won the ATP finals. He's done all the things you're meant to do before breaking through. And he hasn't broken through at the very highest level. One quarterfinal produced so far. And that performance against Milos Raonic was so substandard and feeble uh against a very good Milos Raonic I yeah, should and he say he didn't have a cold then he no well and I mean I think I I think I even heard a bit of injury talk about about that match as well but what I just I don't care really because that should not have happened uh, the way he fell away the dramatic way he lost those first two sets it's just not good enough and uh and so uh he would definitely be my biggest disappointment so far so there we are, Catherine. That <laughs> what concludes... a perky note to end on. <laughs> that concludes uh, uh, an edition, a listener's question special edition here on the Tennis Podcast um, with questions selected by our special editor, guest editor, Kay uh, Anderson Chivas. Thank you very much for those uh, Thank questions. Thank you, Kay. Thank you for sending them in. We will be back with another one of these very, very soon. Might even be next week. Um, and then we'll be back into the, the weekly chat about the, the tennis circuit as it really gets uh, heated and heating up over the clay court season and into the grass. We're going to have daily editions during the French Open and at Queen's and during Wimbledon. You, you know, you're going to have 
plenty of us uh, to, to get your teeth into uh, on the tennis podcast. Hope you're enjoying the show. Do make sure you let people know if you are at a tennis club, if you play yourself. Let people know that we are... Uh, we are here and that people can listen to us and that they can have their daily and weekly fix of the tennis podcast. Um, and, uh, and, and thank you for listening as well. We have been executive produced by tennisballs.com. Our mascot this year is Rio with a Y. Uh, we are produced in association with the Telegraph and Catherine and Matt Roberts and myself. We'll be back very soon. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.